Hi, I'm Ben Lowell, and this is Truth in Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. And John, we begin a, a new series. Uh, last week you did a bit of an introduction in the book of Romans. Yeah. Uh, today you're going to start on the first four chapters yeah. and the heart of the gospel. And, and, and why do you think that's so important that we, we start there with the heart of the gospel? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a big hunk of scripture. It's four yeah. chapters, right? Yeah. But the heart of the gospel is essential Christianity. I mean, this is reducing Christianity to its most basic message. That's what it is. And so, you know, we look at uh, 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 Christians today or we look at people that are interested in the faith and we're missing out, I think, a lot on what is true gospel. Yeah, people are asking, what's the Christian faith all about? We ought to be able to break that into a nutshell. And the Christian faith is all about how to receive forgiveness from a God who is offended because of our sins. Yeah. How do we get our sins forgiven and get right with God? So this is essential stuff. This is essential stuff. Great stuff. Well, thanks for joining us today. And in just a moment, we'll go to Dr. John Newfeld with the heart of the gospel here on Truth and Life Today. You know, not long ago, I was uh, sitting in a barber's chair and my barber was talking to me and he was well waxing philosophical. Uh, and he was telling me that in his view, all religions say basically the same thing. And, I, and that's an interesting conversation. So I said to him, tell me what you think that all religions are saying. And he said, well, I think all religions are teaching us how to be good and genuine towards one another. And they're telling us how to live a fulfilled life. That's what I think it's all about. And um, I listened to that for a while, and then I said, you know, I've been a Christian for a lot of years. Can I tell you what I think the Christian faith is all about? And he said, hey, I'm ready to listen. Now, if that were you, would you know what to say? That's, that's my question today. Or let's say you're not a believer and you're watching this, and let's say you're asking yourself, what is the Christian faith all about? Um, that's what we're going to talk about today. We are talking about uh, studying the entire book of Romans, you know, in big hunks. And so today I want to talk about Romans 1 to 4, which I call the heart of the gospel. There are no four chapters in the Bible that explain more thoroughly what the Christian faith is all about than these four chapters. It's the heart of the gospel. So that's what we're going to study today. Now, when you look at the first four chapters of Romans, and again, that's a big hunk of scripture, you'll notice that the first 17 verses are what we might just call an introduction. And then all the way from chapter one, verse 18, all the way to chapter three and verse 20, you know, it's interesting because rather than telling us good news, it speaks about the universal condemnation of every human being before God. Hmm. Interesting. And then in chapter 3, verse 21, till the end of chapter 3, there's just a short section there, and that short section tells us how God has solved the problem of human sin. And then in chapter 4, which is the end of what we're talking about, chapter 4 is all about how to appropriate or how to receive God's forgiveness into our lives. So let me try to break that down and start with Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, writes the Apostle Paul, who's the author of this book. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, like everything else in Romans, it's a mouthful, you know. So let me just take it one step at a time. 
Uh, Paul is writing to Roman Christians in the city of Rome, and he wants to tell them, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's possible that some of them might have wondered whether or not he was, because, you know, he's been traveling throughout uh, the ancient world of what we now call Turkey and Greece, and, uh, and he has been presenting the gospel everywhere he's gone. In some places, he's been imprisoned. In other places, uh, his presence has sparked a riot. At one occasion, he was actually stoned and, and left for dead. Uh, in another case, where he was simply speaking with the philosophers in the city of Athens, uh, many of them simply called him a babbler and called his ideas silly. And uh, so then he's uh, in, the, in the city of Corinth. And uh, so he's got various different experiences, but everywhere he goes, what he says really results in these repercussions. And uh, he wants to tell the Roman church, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then they're leaning forward and saying, tell us why you're not in spite of the reaction to the gospel. And he says, because or for, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, as we continue to read through the book of Romans, it becomes very clear what Paul means when he says salvation. For him, salvation is but one thing. We are saved from the anger of God because of our sins. Come back to that, because those first four chapters are all about that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because in the gospel, there is power to be found that saves every person, not just from their sins, but the consequence of their sins, which is the judgment of God and his anger against all sin. And then he writes, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, if you wanna know what righteousness is, in the Greek language, the word righteousness and the word justice, it's the same word. So we might say, uh, in the gospel, we find a sense of the just or righteous character of God. We'll find out that God always does the right thing. In fact, he's the very uh, standard by which justice is measured. Everything that's good is in God and everything that's evil is apart from his will. So that's what he's going to tell us. So that's what this book is all about. And then, starting at chapter 1 and verse 18, we have that first big hunk that I was talking about, and it's that part about universal sinfulness. All of chapter 1 is taken up in showing that Gentiles who never had the law of God, knew nothing about the Ten Commandments or about what God's righteous designs were for the human race, are still found guilty. And the reason for that is because, and as Paul will write, for what can be known about God, I'm reading chapter 1, verse 19, uh, is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In other words, a creation itself tells you something about the very nature of God. It tells you that he exists. It tells you also that his wisdom and his power are beyond what we can fathom. But it also tells us that we have a debt of gratitude to God. I mean, every breath that we take, every heartbeat that beats, every time we eat food that's put on our table, it comes from the creation itself which God has provided. And therefore, we owe to God an infinite debt of gratitude. And if you'd never had a Bible, you'd know that at least if you thought about it, you would. But then writes Paul, we all know that by nature, but we repress that knowledge. In other words, thankfulness, gratefulness to God is required of every human being, and yet we've not been grateful to him, we've not worshiped him as we ought. And instead, it says that because of these things, God is giving us over 
to harmful and depraved desires which are destroying us. It's the judgment of God. So we actually don't have to wait for the final judgment, although it's coming. Already God is beginning to judge the human race because we are given over into depravity. More to come. If Romans chapter 1 tells us that every Gentile who's never heard of what God's righteous decrees are all about is still guilty before God, Romans chapter 2 tells us not only are Gentiles guilty before God, so are the Jews. Now in the Bible, the Jews are given a very special place because they received the Ten Commandments and the law of God. And you have to imagine a whole community of over a million people before Mount Sinai and it's the only time in all of history that one million people have heard the voice of God speaking at the same time. It's a fascinating thing. God speaks to them and tells them what he's like. He's a righteous and just God, and he gives his rules of just living. It's the very foundation of understanding the nature of God. Now, Jews have that, says Paul, but then he goes on to say, eh, let me read it to you. It says, and if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve of what is excellent because you are instructed in the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a, a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, and so forth, he says, you who teach others, do you teach yourself? And suddenly, having trained his guns on Gentiles who are all found wanting before God, Paul now turns his guns on the Jewish people and says, look, you've received the law, and yet you also have broken the law. I mean, you've had greater light than the Gentiles had, and yet, at the same time, you're just as guilty as they are. It wasn't, as, it wasn't a matter of how much God revealed himself. It's something about the blackness in the human heart that simply will not submit to God and will not give thanks to God for everything. I mean, just think about it. I mean, how often uh, have you and I received a wonderful blessing in our life and said, well, it's just dumb luck. We refuse to give thanks to God. Or how often have we taken credit for something? The credit rightly belongs to God. And every time we do that, says the book of Romans, we're defaming God. And God is giving us over to ever-increasing depravity so that when you get to the end of that first section, it says, there is no one righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So there is in the Bible this, this problem. It's, it's a horrific problem. Uh, we've sinned against God, and God who is eternal and all-powerful has turned against us. We and God have become enemies, and the end isn't going to end up well. But then comes a major transition point in this wonderful book, and it starts with Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. And here's the good news. I mean, the bad news is we're sinners, and we're going to stand before judgment, but here's the good news. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest or been made known apart from the law. And, you know, if you're a Jew and you were reading that, you'd be scratching your head. You'd say, well, righteousness is the law, and the law is righteousness. I mean, the two go together. There's nothing beyond that. 
And yet the book of Romans says God has demonstrated just how righteous he is in another fashion. And then we continue to read, and let me read it to you because it's a mouthful. And when you're reading Romans, you might wonder what you're reading. So I'm reading Romans 3, verse 23 and following. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, if you didn't catch that, I don't blame you. It's a lot of $5 words there, and yet every single one of them demand our attention. It says, first of all, that we are justified as a gift. Now, if you want to know what justification means, it, it simply means that there is an explanation or there is an accounting for our sin. Now, you know, I, I know this, that uh, individuals who are not justified don't have their sins forgiven. So, uh, quick shorthand. Justification simply means that our sins are removed from us. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now that word redemption is so important. Redemption means in the Bible, the release of a prisoner from sin. Now, Romans has already told us that we're under the wrath of God, that we're prisoners of our own sin. We're, we're prisoners of an animosity between us and God. And then the book says God has found a way to unlock the prison door and to let us free. Something that Jesus did when he came unlocked the human race of its prison doors and allowed us to go free. And you might say, how did that happen? And it says this, it happened this way. God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now, that word propitiation, it's an old English word and we don't actually have an equivalent to that word in our language. But the word is very important. It means to say, and I'll put it in shorthand, a propitiation is a wrath-bearing sacrifice. It basically says this, when Jesus was hung on the cross, he represented me before God. God poured out his anger not on me, but he poured out his anger on Jesus Christ who took my place on the cross and therefore the wrath that was displayed against Jesus on the cross satisfied the justice or the righteousness of God for all times. Jesus has become my substitute. He died for me. I deserve damnation and Jesus took damnation in my stead. That's what the Bible teaches us here. That's what happened on the cross. And then it said, to be received by faith. Now, what's fascinating about that is still the question is, if Christ died for us, does that mean we're all forgiven? And according to the Bible and the book of Romans, we're not. So somehow you have to receive the forgiveness that Christ offers on his cross. If he bore damnation on our behalf, how is it that I get this justification or this freedom from sin? How does it come to me? And the answer is it comes by faith. And we need an explanation of that so that we might know how to be fully forgiven of our sins.
Romans chapter four is this exciting passage in the scripture because if you've ever wondered, am I forgiven by God? The answer is found in Romans chapter four. I mean, it, it just deserves to be studied. It tells us the only way to receive forgiveness is by faith, and might I add, by faith alone. But what is it we mean by that? So let me begin to read Romans chapter four, verse one. It says, and what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified or forgiven by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, if you don't know what this is referring to, uh, Paul is quoting from an Old Testament passage, the book of Genesis, and it's in fact Genesis chapter uh, 15 and verse six. Now, fascinating about Genesis 15 is it tells the story of Abraham, who really is the father of the Jewish nation, and Abraham has just been in warfare. He's attacked four kings, and he has recaptured his nephew Lot and brought him back home, and he also, also recaptured a number of, a number of the, the expensive things of wealth that these four kings had, had raided and taken from a number of the nations around them, and Abraham returns everything that was taken. But then when he's left alone, he realizes that perhaps these four kings are gonna come back. And if these four kings come back, Abraham's toast. You know, he's, he's worried, he's fearful. And so Genesis 15 begins by having God speak to Abraham. And God says to Abraham, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your great reward. So when God says, I'm your shield, he's basically saying, Abraham, don't be afraid because I promise to protect you from these four kings that want to destroy you. Well, that was good news. And instead of Abraham saying, thank you, God, I was so afraid for my life, he, he complains. He says, yeah, but God, what am I gonna say at this point in my life? I've been following you for 20 years. You took me to this promised land from my homeland, and, and here I am. And the thing is, you promised that you would make of me a great nation, but I don't even have a single child. My wife is barren. We're unable to have children. What is it that you're gonna give me? And God says, Abraham, let's go for a walk. And Abraham and God go out for a walk into the night sky. And God says, look up at the sky, Abraham. And he says to, and God says to Abraham, count the stars. Abraham says, there's far too many to count. And God says to Abraham, as many as the stars are in the sky, that's how great your offspring will be. And Abraham hears these words and he says, if you say so, I believe you. See, that, that's that moment of faith. If you say so, I believe you. And then Genesis chapter 15 verse six says, Abraham believed God and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. In other words, this is a righteous act to believe in this way. Now, Paul quotes that passage here right after he's talked about Jesus dying on the cross for sinners. He said that when Christ died, he died on behalf of sinners, that he bore the anger of God on himself. He took away God's wrath and offered us forgiveness. And along comes God and says, I sent Jesus to do that for you so that your sins would be forgiven. Will you believe me? And Paul says, just like Abraham, who looked up in the night sky and said, if you say so, I believe it. That's the same way we receive forgiveness from God. 
If God says the death of my son Jesus on the cross is enough to take away the sins of anyone who trusts in me, if you say so, God, I believe it. Tell you a little story. It's a very significant one. Some years ago, there's a woman that I knew um, and uh, she had lived a very sexually licentious life. And then by God's grace, had gotten wonderfully saved, her sins forgiven. And then she'd gotten pregnant and she became fearful. She thought to herself, you know, what if, because of all of my sins in the past, you know, my, my, my baby is now born deformed or something terrible happens, what would happen now? And uh, so I said to her, uh, you're right, God is very angry with you, but not for the reason that you think. God is angry because he said to you, the death of my son is enough to forgive all of your sins and to give you peace with God. And you look at that splendid promise of God and you say to him, I don't think you're good as your word. I'm not sure I can trust you. You see, the minute I said that to her, she said, oh, of course, that's the issue. And peace just flooded into her heart. And it does for anyone who trusts in Christ. We know and have become aware from the earlier chapters of Genesis, uh, earlier chapters of Romans, where, where Paul makes it very clear that every one of us are sinners and under condemnation. But then along comes God and says, I offer you this free of charge. And if we say to him, I believe you, God says, that's all I need. Your faith is counted as righteousness. See, what's interesting here is that Paul says now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. What he's really saying is, if you think there was something that you could do to earn your forgiveness, then you'd say, I've earned my forgiveness. But if you're saying there's nothing I can do, God himself must work on my behalf. And I believe that God has done everything in the cross. That's called saving faith. It's a confidence and a trust in Christ and in Christ alone. It throws my life fully on what he has done and not looks at myself and says, what have I done? See, that's the difference between Christianity and every system in the world. Christianity says there's nothing you can do to earn favor with God, but if you trust God, he'll do everything for you. And our response is to say, if that's what you say, God, I trust you. And that, my friends, is the very heart of the gospel. It's what Romans 1 to 4 is all about, and I commend it to you. Study it and understand this marvelous, marvelous invitation that God has given to each one of us. Hi, and thanks for returning to Truth and Life today. And Dr. John, you talked about uh, the heart of the gospel today. One thing you mentioned earlier on was uh, uh, people ha having this feeling or this sense that really all religions or all faiths are the same. What do you say to that? Well, that's so rooted into our contemporary consciousness, and it gets repeated so often so that people come to believe it. I I'd want to say to individuals who think that one, is that it's not just that religions are giving different answers to the same question. They're not even asking the same questions. Okay. They're so fundamentally different. And the Christian faith is asking the question, how do I get right with God? 
That's a very unique question. And the answer that it gives is also a very unique answer. And, uh, but it's so important because our eternity hangs on the answer to that question. So you might get everything else wrong, but you want to get that one right. And what we see perhaps in many other faiths is how do I live for today? And you know what? There is that in the Bible as well. How would God have me live today? Absolutely. But it is the question of eternity as well. Yeah, because today is always colored in the Bible with my eternity and my relationship with the altogether righteous God. Um, So that God exists and that he is righteous. And so I need to measure my days today in the light of that eternal reality. Okay, so today we looked at the heart of the gospel. Next week you're coming back with a continuation of this series. What's the next thing you're gonna be talking about? Yeah, it's the power of the gospel or even the assurance of the gospel. Uh, But the power of the gospel is, how do I know that I'm right with God and what does that life look like? Excellent. Thanks so much, Dr. John. And thanks for joining us today on Truth and Life Today. Remember to join us again next week.